Howdy friends, welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, Tonzilla X-Pod at EscapingTheCave.com. I am your friendly, that term is relative, friendly host Todd, and I am relatively friendly in this episode this week, compared to last week anyway. My menstrual cycle has wound down apparently. (laughs) Hope you're having a good week. (sighs) We record these shows here in Michigan. We've had a hell of a week. Plot against our Governor Gretchen Whitmer foiled. Kidnapping plot. Engineered by a bunch of militia groups here in the state. We have a lot of militia groups in the state of Michigan. We're sort of known for it, going all the way back to Oklahoma City. Timothy McVeigh, Terry Nichols, Michigan Ties. Michigan Militia Ties. All the way back to 1995. Sort of ingrained in the culture here in the state. Well... After this plot, this episode, and after being off for a couple of weeks with Brian anyway, he hasn't been here in two weeks, a lot of this show talks about the militia, the militias, and if you've been missing the politics that I used to talk about quite a bit, if you've missed politics in general, this is maybe the episode for you. We can't help it. It's impossible not to talk about politics these days. With everything with Trump and the coronavirus, the election (laughs) <laughs> it's like a vortex you can't you can't escape. It's like a black hole it keeps sucking you in. That was actually that was an actual recording of a black hole right there. There it is again. Did you hear it? That's a black hole. That's what black holes sound like. <laughs> so yeah, this episode. I don't know if it's dark. I wouldn't necessarily characterize it that way, but it's uh, honest. Not talking about the academic foundations of propaganda for the entire episode. But we do talk about propaganda. We also talk about killing norms, data overload, some of the stuff I've already covered. Cover it with Brian today. Agitation. Manchurian propagandists as well. Propagandists that don't know the propagandists. They have just taken on the traits of Joseph Goebbels without knowing it because they've seen it everywhere. How propaganda might be suffocating the informational ecosystem and replacing it. Oh, that's fun. That's fun to think about. Talk about free speech and the responsibility that comes with free speech. And when that responsibility is abandoned, does the right of free speech, or do the problems that come with the right of free speech outweigh the benefits and the rights of free speech themselves? It's a valid question. It's been asked before. Devil's advocate, perhaps it should be asked again. Propaganda and information. Jock Alul put forth in his book, Propaganda, that the two are pretty much indistinguishable. That's a scary thought. We get into that today. We talk about journalism as well, subliminal editorializing. And back to the extremist stuff, talking about how this could be the tip of the iceberg, how the the bulk of this massive extremist berg could be hidden beneath the black churning sea of extremism, out of sight, out of mind. Are you aware how pervasive these movements are? How many people are involved in them? Also, start to try to understand these guys. Again, devil's advocate. And finally, I pivot the conversation to (laughs) colonialism. Yeah, socialist colonialism. Hear that phrase a lot in the woke flake rhetoric these days from the far left. Colonialism, you're all colonists. You're imperialists. The rhetoric's 100 years old. So I start talking about (laughs) socialist colonialism. The invaders from the east. Should be fun to listen to if you haven't heard me talk about that before. Talk about self-interest, 
how one group, one specific group in this country, maybe two, are expected to climb upon the altar of social justice and sacrifice themselves for the benefit of someone else. Is that rational? Is that to be expected? Should you be surprised when people refuse to subjugate their self-interest to someone else's? Where is the moral certitude, the moral imperative? Is that the kind of fanaticism that Joan Didion was talking about in her essay? I believe it's a moral imperative that you sacrifice yourself to the good of someone else. And should you really be surprised? Maybe I'm being redundant. We get into this later in the episode. Perhaps I should shut up right now. But really, should you be shocked when someone refuses to abandon their own personal self-interest? And finally, we start talking about the religious aspects of socialism. I'll probably tag this episode with a little bit more on that. This is episode number 91. It was recorded on October the 11th and released on October 12th of 2020. How are you? You there? Hey, good. Okay. Good. Yeah, I'm good. I was just I'm drinking I was drinking water right when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hell when you're not in the studio. You know, if you were right here, if we were in the same room, I could look at yeah. us and say, Oh, he's drinking water, maybe I shouldn't throw it to him right now. Yeah, no, that's fine. That uh, that's good. I, I just needed a I just needed a quick hit of some water. Good to be back. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got matcha, I've got coffee, I've got water, and then I've got a thermos of green tea up here. <laughs> I so. love that matcha that matcha tea though. That's some good stuff. It really gets you gets you a good pickup. Yeah, it's like it's like being energized without being wired. That's exactly it. It's really nice, and that goes back millennia. You know, that's yeah. that that's that green tea that's been pulverized and powdered, mm-hmm. and uh, so you're actually not just steeping leaves in water and drinking this 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 leaf water. You're actually drinking the leaves. Getting and, uh, every single nutrient in the leaf. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Stuff's not cheap, though. Yeah, terribly expensive, but it's it's more, one of those buzzes for me anyway. I don't know how it affects you, but it's not like a physical jittery kind of, you know, like you're on cocaine <laughs> kind of buzz. It just sort of wakes the brain up a little bit. Do you make it? Uh, do you make it like in a traditional sort of uh, ritualistic way, or do you like, just kind of stir it up in a cup? I just I, I tried the paste thing once. And uh-huh. yeah, that was maddening. No, I just used a little, you know, the little bowl and I have the little whisk and I whip yeah. it up into a nice little froth and, and, uh, and then I drink it. And I, I like that. It's a little, there's a little bit of a ritualistic to it. It's not like just grabbing a cup of coffee, you know, there's a little, there's some mindfulness involved in making a cup of matcha. And I, I like that a lot. I did try it. I tried to get to that point. Uh, I don't have the whisk or anything like that. I don't remember what I use. It, it was a real trailer. Trailer trash matcha. <laughs> There's a band name for you right there. Trailer, hey, trailer trash that, matcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't brilliant. know. I'm I'm just the kind of guy that I, I just like to mix it and slam it, you know. <laughs> that's my ritual is drinking it and getting it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's but, good stuff. Yeah, I've started coffee again. I was off coffee for a few months and I... Uh, just drinking solely tea from like May, I think, through probably the middle of last month. And I went back. I had one cup of coffee. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I still have my morning cup, you know, because we are man, men of a certain age. Yes. So, I, you know, if I drink too late in the day, I'm up all night. Um, so I have to stop uh, in the morning. I have my morning cup usually on the drive to work, which is just long enough for me to finish a thermos. And, and, uh, and then it's tea for the rest of the day, which is like half the caffeine. Um, of, a, of a cup of coffee. So, and then yeah. by about, by about two o'clock, I'm, I'm pretty much off of all of it. 
Yeah, I have to stop uh, probably around five or eh, five or six, mm-hmm. six, six, seven at the latest. I have a do you remember the days when we could sit in the studio drinking coffee all night long and then go home and just go right to bed? You know what I mean? You just have you just you just fall you just go yeah. to sleep. Yeah. What is yeah, that? What's that. the physiological explanation be- behind that not happening at this age anymore? I think I think we're just slowly falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> No, it has to do with resilience and processing, and I, I, you know, I, I'm not the expert in that, but you know, metabolism changes and all those kind of things, how we absorb chemicals and how we, you know, rebound from drinking bad things. You know, for example, I don't really drink much, and and not for particularly any reason that I've done anything wrong or think that that I was ever an alcoholic or anything like that. It's just that. yeah, well, it's just I, you know now it's just like uh, uh, if I if I drink you know more than you know two drinks in an evening, I feel it for two days. Oh, you I know? yeah, I do know. Yeah, so that's that's why I really don't drink anymore because I just I just don't like the way it feels afterwards. The last time that I think I had had any significant amount of alcohol was New Year's Eve, and it wasn't even that much, and I felt it. Um, yeah, yeah. January first, I was like, "Why do I do this?" Whenever I get invited to go out, like my uh, girlfriend's cousins like to have us over, play games, and have uh-huh. drinks and stuff like. That. I, it's just like I can't drink. I, I, I have this knowledge in my head that I know what tomorrow's going to look and feel like if I go have more than three beers. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Out. And it's just not fun. No. It's just not fun. So you're buying. It's because you know you get to. It's the way you process things, and it's that. Uh, recovery that you just don't have, you know, because when you're 25, you know, you can drink, you know, a a whole plate of jello shots and be fine the next day, um, you know, or at least functioning. If I drink a a whole plate of jello shots right now, I'd be off work for a week. (laughs) Honest to God. I know. Yeah. I was in my mid twenties, mid late twenties, probably the latest I did this, but we'd go out and drink. My friends and I would go out drinking, raising hell till four or five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And we get home, and we'd be up at eight o'clock to go play softball all day long in some tournament three hours away. Yep. And I functioned. I did well. I had no problem with it. I just, you know, I I, well, that was the days of mini thins, if you remember that when they had the ephedrine in them. So you know, sort of. I never got into those. Yeah, they were great. (laughs) <laughs> oh, they were great. You'd run your hand through your hair and it felt like you had little bugs. Like it would just tingle like your head was, your, your hairline was being covered with ants or something. Oh my gosh. I get that feeling with Sudafed. Yeah, just the, 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 regu- the, the regular dose, you know, just oh, really? if I take a regular, like a normal, you know, prescribed dose. Yeah. But I feel like my hair is tingling. That's the same stuff. It's got ephedrine in it. Is that what that is? Yeah. They used to make meth out of that. That's why they took it off the shelves because people are, you have to get a prescription for it now, I do believe. Oh, no shit. And I'll tell you what I know about making meth. Oh, oh wait, no, I, yeah, yeah, well, I, I watched Breaking Bad, so right. yeah, I figured, yeah, okay. That's the that's only what, reason I knew that yeah. about Sudafed, too. Pseudo, <laughs> pretty, yeah, they yeah. call it pseudo. Get, right. get, to, get me a case of pseudo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's, that's the ingredient, the, the ephedrine, and we smoked back then, and, uh, you know, it's a bronchial, bronchial dilator. And so you'd pop three or four of those mini thins and you're rolling. You're just, you're, you're crystal clear. Your head feels great. And you can Jeez. breathe after smoking a pack of cigarettes. Holy moly. But it's terribly bad for you. Just, uh, just, uh, it's really bad stuff. I, yeah, I want it. I want it back on the shelves. <laughs> See, this is why I'm a libertarian. I, I feel like I should be able to make my own choices about my own. You probably should, but it's the few that kind of fuck it up for the rest of us. Yeah, I'm pretty convinced. Had I been able to make all the choices that I wanted to make over my life, I'd be dead by now. Pretty sure. Hmm. Pretty sure. I'm, pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, I could probably not disagree with that. 
So, how's your Trump doing today, Brian? Oh, man. Not good. Not good. I'm trying to decide, do we want to talk about Trump or the kidnapping uh, plot first? got to talk politics today. For the listeners, we don't typically talk a lot of politics on the show. It's usually you know, propaganda psychology, that kind of thing. The, yeah. Uh, sort of the interface with all that with technology and how it's affecting us and taking us to hell. Uh, we can't avoid politics this week. I really don't think we can. I mean, yeah. with especially since, um, you know, with the whole thing with the governor of Michigan and this uh, this uh, militia group and all the, I mean, it's just been top of mind nationally. Yeah, uh, I just don't think we can avoid talking about not talking about it. You know. Yeah, you weren't here last week. I did a solo episode um, after Trump was diagnosed with his COVID. Did you wish him well? Did you wish his? Did you do you have well wishes for his health and well being, Brian? Well, I, I don't. I never want anybody to, you know, die from an illness. That's just that's just not a normal way to, I think, think. But really? I, 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 yeah. I just, are you I sure? Know. No, no. I'm, I, no I, are you sure? I, I am sure. Yeah, I, I, I am sure. I don't know if it's an acceptable way to think, but I think it's a pretty normal way for a lot of people to think. I think sometimes folks would, you know, it's like, well, serves you right. I don't. I, I guess. I guess that was my first inclination. I don't wish the guy dead. I, you know, of course not. But. Um, or, or to become debilitatingly ill. Um, but the first instinct is, well, you know, hey, you know, you kind of flaunted it in front of fate and now, uh, now you're sick. Uh, there you go. Karma. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah that's I, what happens. My first thought, and I said this on the show last week, I don't think, did you listen to that by any chance? Probably no. not. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll laugh if you go back and listen to it now. Okay. Uh, but my first inkling, my first inclination when I found out he had COVID was, ha! <laughs> <laughs> you dumb fucker! Yes, there is a God. Right. I may go to church this week. That kind of thing, because it's just the irony. It, it's it's just perfect comedy. You couldn't write it any better than that. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. my first thought, and like serves him right. Hope he gets sick. Second thought right. was, holy crap! This is almost like divine intervention. This is the the one possible decent outcome to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the Donald right. Trump problem is taken care of. Potentially, could be. That's, well, uh, yeah. that opens up a whole that opens up a whole whole can of shit that I don't even want to get into. Yeah, that can that one of the one of the ingredients in that can is not Donald Trump. That yeah. was my thinking. I understand. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely with you. It, it throws a constitutional crisis. Oh my god! What do you do god. with the election? You know, all sorts of other things. Well, actually, no. All that stuff is all that stuff is written and figured out. I mean, it, it becomes very simple. If something were to happen to the president, there's a there's a there's a clear line of succession, even during an election, and then even during the period of time between an election and an inauguration, there are clear guidelines for that too. I don't think you know if anything were to happen to the president, and I don't I don't wish him. Uh, Poorly in that regard, um, yeah, I don't think that's a constitutional crisis. It is a constitutional. Okay, who who is the nominee in the election in three weeks? Mike Pence. Mike Pence automatically gets the Republican nomination as vice yes. president. He does. Is that as written? vice president? That's written somewhere. Absolutely, the vice president okay. takes over as president. Right, but <clears throat> well, okay, I guess. Well, they went through He's a nomination there. process to nominate Trump and Pence. You know, they're nominated together. Okay. No, yeah. I'm not arguing with you. I just, it, you're sure about that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. All right. Well, that was one of the questions that I had because then you'd have this, how do, how do the Republicans decide who they're going to put on the ballot in three weeks against Joe Biden after this entire campaign? If it is, if it is Pence, I guess that makes a lot of, I would assume it would be 
Yeah, and 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 maybe it's a situation where you know he fills in as president, and then you know he would fall. He's still the vice president, right? Right. And so, if anything happens to the president, he becomes the de facto acting president, or becomes the president just by constitutional um, authority. Right. Uh, and even even in an election, uh, that's how that happens. Um, and so then, it, but then it does become an issue where um, I think the house has to get involved. I'm sure the house would get involved. I'm sure it would become a clusterfuck, even though it, it's it's still pretty well written out in the constitution. It's very well outlined how this how this stuff works. Okay. And any, any constitutional authority can tell you, um, but. It's it's when we kind of start getting our political greasy fingers in the mix, that's when it becomes a mess, yeah. right? Like for example, I'm not thrilled that the president is a, is appointing a, a chief a justice on the Supreme Court, not a chief justice, but a justice on the Supreme Court. I don't like the choice. I don't like the president. I don't like the choice for for Supreme Court justice. Does he have the right to do that? Absolutely. Did Mitch Mitch McConnell um, cock block us um, when the seat was open after Scalia passed? Absolutely, he did. That was that was a mess. But the fact that the president has the authority—that's one of the things that the Constitution really lays out very clearly. As long as he's a president, he gets to appoint justices, whether we like it or not. Yeah, and the one thing I didn't understand—I think four years ago when this happened with Gorsuch. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Mitch McConnell, as you <laughs> very artistically put it, cock blocked the uh, yeah. Obama's appointment. This is, that wasn't that wasn't unprecedented. It, no, it's happened. No, no, no. I guess several times. And I the way the rhetoric goes, and I I do have some gaps in my history. I'm, sometimes civics bore me, so yeah. I, I have some gaps in that area. But I didn't yeah. realize the way that they were talking four years ago was that this has never happened before. There has never <laughs> been a divided. You know, the executive it happens and all the, the time, and the legislative branch are divided. So therefore, the Supreme Court nominee doesn't get through in an election year. They made it sound like it never had never happened, and this was a norm that was just being exploded on stage. Right? Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. not true. It's happened several times. Well, anytime you have opposite parties in the in the in the executive branch and in the Senate. This is a right, problem, right? Right, right, right now, right now, it's just sliding through because you've got the same party in both branches, and the the House is basically a non sequitur in this discussion. This is constitutionally a choice of the president and the Senate. That's it. And anytime you have, you know, one or the other, or the opposite party, this comes up, right? And it, and and the other party doesn't want it to go through. And if you know how to play the game better than the other guy, yeah, nothing, nothing wrong, technically, has really happened. Whether it was through Gorsuch, whether it was the Gorsuch. Uh, after Scalia passed away, or or whether in this case, where and it's just that it just seems like McConnell was able to play the game better, and he used every tool in his toolbox to make sure that we that uh, that Obama did not get to appoint Gorsuch, which it pissed off a lot of people. But was there was there anything um, constitutionally wrong with that? No. Anything evil? Anything diabolical? It's politics. Well, it's, it's I'm not sure before. that. I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that the Constitution addresses evil. <laughs> I wasn't addressing it constitutionally either. I, I'm yeah. more concerned of the response because everybody was, you remember the howls and the screams four oh, years ago, and you're hearing yeah, yeah, the howls yeah, 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 and the yeah. screams this year. It feels like everything is just amplified to the point where, where reason and historical context really doesn't matter. Nobody, I didn't even go back four years ago and check and say, gee, does this ever happen where you've got a split <laughs> between the executive and the uh, legislative and Congress? And yeah. I'm sorry, the Senate. Has this mm-hmm. ever happened before? I never bothered to go research it because I just assumed it was some sort of, you know, evil many plan times. to maintain power. Many, many, many times. I this didn't is learn just, that until uh, the last few months. This is the this is the sloppiness of uh, of our of our government of, of of our constitution and, and how our country is run. It's just sloppy and it's loud. It's obnoxious. It's messy. 
Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, you hope that uh, what you get is a, a, a decent life, you know? Yeah, I don't like to scapegoat the media too, too much. I've talked about this a number of times where we all have our own, the responsibility to maintain our own, own minds and learn for ourselves mm-hmm. and things. But this is one, I think, four years ago where the media completely dropped the ball, at least the, the liberal media. Because I should have known that. As much news as I was watching in 2016, I should have known. It should have been pointed out that, yes, this is, this is really unfortunate for liberals, uh, but it's happened before. I yeah. had no idea. That was not part of the media's narrative four years ago to sort of tone things down, yeah. hit that pressure release valve that this isn't something unprecedented. We're not raping a norm on national TV today. <laughs> it's true. And for whatever reason, I did kind of know that. I think maybe I had seen a little bit of coverage of what you're talking about. I kind of caught it in some maybe a very short newscast with one of the presidential historians that shows up occasionally. Yeah. Um, so I knew that, that, that this isn't something that's unprecedented. And and that's been kind of one of the guiding posts that keeps me fairly optimistic is that a lot of the stuff that we've been going through um, isn't unprecedented. Most of it isn't, but uh, you know it's happened before things, and we've always we've kind of come through it, and we've come through worse. Uh, so I've got this sort of this too shall pass kind of kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Where 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 I think we run into trouble with um, the current administration, and I don't know if this is off topic or not, is that it's not that he's doing things that are necessary necessarily illegal. Um, whether you can, you know, so we, get, we won't get into whether we're going to prove stuff or not. But it's just that he, he, he if it's not expressly written down that he can't do something, he's like, well, fuck it, I'm going to. Stop me. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? And so, yes. And so um, I think that's where we're running into problems here. He's just he's just thumbing his his nose at the at the entire mechanism of government. It's like, well, you didn't write down that I can't do this. So fuck you. I'm going to do it. Uh, And that's as I understand it, that's kind of how he's managed his life. You know, Uh 20, 25 years ago, when I first started to sort of kind of pay attention to politics, I'm like, well, What's stopping people from doing X? You know, there's, there's a whole slew of examples I, I, that I can't really think of specifically right no, now. You're, no, you're right. But I kept thinking to myself, like, okay, well, why don't you just, like, not this? Or why don't you just do this? What's stopping you from doing that? And it's just it, the thought in my head was, well, we just don't do that. Like, it's understood. It's a norm. It's, it's a mean. Is it a mean? Traditional. It's, it's normative. It's, um, it's a handshake. It's how we've done things in the country for 250 years. And somebody comes along like this, you know, this president and, and says, there's nothing that says I can't do what I want to do. And I don't really give a shit about tradition and, and decorum and what's the normative way of doing business in Washington. So screw you guys. I'm going to do it. Yeah, I feel like this, this began with Bush. I don't think it's just Trump. I think Trump's maybe the latest manifestation yeah. of it, or the extreme manifestation of it. Or, well, I, I would go back to the Tea Party as well. They, they did a lot of things in the uh, early teens that sort of started to erode some of this. And I've always looked at Trump as just a direct line correlation uh, straight back to the Tea Party. That's when Trump was sort mm-hmm. of <laughs> when his, mm-hmm. his sperm crawled up the electoral vaginal canal. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying. But – yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like what you were talking about when the when the, uh, the these erosion of these norms and these things that we just don't do. I feel like that began with George Bush with Iraq. I think after the yeah. war, his yeah. connection to you know his daddy being targeted for assassination, invading a country that had nothing to do with nine eleven, the yeah. WMD stuff that was exposed. 
You know, that to me, I don't know. Maybe I was just paying attention for the first time. I guess that's possible. Yeah, that's kind of when I woke up, yeah. honestly. You know what I mean? To that kind of stuff yeah. and, and just the level of corruption and the, and the intense propaganda. And just I was just gobsmacked by it. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know how to think about it because I'd never been exposed to that. You know, even with bad presidents before, there was some level of, I don't know what the word, I guess decorum? I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Some level of trust that the traditions of running the country are maintained going back to Washington and Jefferson, Hamilton, you know? Yeah. And all of that is just, it's like we're playing 52 pickup with all of those morals. And, and methods and, and ways we do business and, and McConnell too, you know, McConnell's McConnell's great at that shit too, where he's like, well, you know, stop me, figure out a way to stop me. It feels like a game to him. Like he's playing risk. I don't know. I, I just, I have that in my head and, and it could be too, that maybe we started to see all of this because I guess around 2000 with George yeah. Bush, that first administration and the, the internet really became the internet 2.0 in that area. That, that's, that that's well. a good point. So maybe yeah, we just started to see it. It's not the first corrupt administration, right? I mean, sure. And before, you know, you had to wait, uh, you know, hours for news. And, and before that, you had to wait days. And, and before that, it was a month before you got the news of what happened, you know, in Washington this month yeah. or last month. And then by then, it's too late and it's all done and who gives a shit. But now, um, you know, you're getting, uh, you know, real-time reporting on what's happening, whether it's whether it's factual or not, but it's real time, and yeah. and um, and it's coming at us so fast. We're just not emotionally equipped. That's Marshall McLuhan. That's uh, Neil Postman. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about data overload. I haven't talked to you a lot about that. I think I mentioned it a few times, but I've I've yeah. got a lot of episodes back in the list there. That's something I've looked into quite a few times too. Yeah, as the technology takes off, people can't people don't adapt to it as well as they think they do, and sometimes right. they don't adapt to it at all. I mean, in two hundred years or one hundred and fifty, well, what is this? This is twenty twenty. So let's say two hundred years. In the mm -hmm. last two hundred years, we have gone from information moving at the speed of horse to yeah. literally moving at the speed of light. Yeah instantaneous access to information. You're, you're dead on about that. The Pony Express would bring news from the East Coast into town a week after it happened. <laughs> That's right. Right. And it's, and it's all past tense, right? Oh, this happened. Right. This, this happened last week. Oh, this, this is, now it's, this is happening. This yeah. is going on now. So then we get some, I guess maybe there's some, some, uh, some switch inside our brains that makes us think we can do something about it. Right. Since it's happening right now. 250 uh, I, years I, ago, it's like, like Thomas Paine put out uh, common sense and it was the sense, a sensation. It's a pure piece of propaganda. Mm -hmm. Common sense. It's agitation propaganda directed at the British. Okay, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. But it was such a sensation, and, and so many people read it. It was like by far, I think, at that point in time, more people read that pamphlet per capita in this country than maybe still have read any other book other than the Bible. Well, it really struck the yeah. emotional chord of every, you know, everybody, right? Because right. you know, we were all here because we didn't want to be subject to British rule, and and so he really struck all those chords. Yeah, but uh, in, in order to have a counter argument to that, somebody had to go to the printing press. You know, they had to write it, they had to take it to the printing press, and then they had to disseminate it. Oh, they had to lay every letter, in, yeah. right? They had to put every letter into this little rail, and then, they, you know yeah. what I mean? You had to really yeah. want to publish. You had to really want to write something back then. <laughs> yeah, and I could, I could pick my phone up right now, boom, 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 and it's global instantaneously. Yeah, right. You know, and yeah. that's, that's, had yeah. a, that's had a huge effect on everything. People are just, you know, confused and... Well, 
had not able to sort through and curate all the data and the information. Yeah. It hasn't been a positive effect either. I think it's been 90% (laughs) negative. Yeah. It's yeah. That that was, that was McLuhan's argument back in the sixties. A lot of people before him started to tinker with it, but McLuhan, uh, Alul got into a little bit, but uh, particularly Neil Postman in the eighties, just before the internet started to come around, he was drilling that point home in um, using ourselves to death Mm -hmm. death and technopoly. It's one of those things where if you get so overwhelmed so overwhelmed with information and confusion from both sides. You can't tell what's real, what's fake. It's so easy when you're drowning, as I said in the show last week, to grab onto any piece of driftwood to keep your head above water. Even if you're self-aware and you know this is coming and you're fairly mindful of all of this stuff, you can still get caught up in this stuff. I find myself watching something and going, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. And then 10 minutes later, I'm going, oh, wait, that's, that's, that's what they mean. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do. And and uh, uh, and then you find, and then you just kind of then you have this sort of overwhelming feeling of shame. Yeah. I made mine <laughs> public know. last year. <laughs> uh, but it yeah. happens all the time because yeah. it's disguised. They're 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 figuring out how to counteract our own our own uh, con- the, uh, the agency of our own minds faster than we can figure out how to how to how to uh, you know counteract it. Yeah, it's, they, they know us it's better than we know ourselves. Fuck yeah. Yeah. It's astonishing. <laughs> yeah. I have, uh, you, this was before you had, uh, I think before we reconnected last year, but I, that happened to me th- three times last year. While I was doing the propaganda material, while I was sitting here railing and raging against prop, uh, agitation propaganda, I got, I got nailed two or three times with it last year. Myself. Mm-hmm. They figured out what string to pluck. Yeah. And it's because. And I plucked it. And I figured it. I figured out at least for me why. Because I it was because of the stuff that I was I was in this really anti-socialist phase at that time, like the anti-green uh, tea party. This was about the time the Democratic Socialists a little um, convention, you yeah. know, talking about being mm-hmm. comradely and comrade this and com- you, 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 oh, everybody Jesus. heard that last year. Yeah. So I was I was really particularly interested in that, and that was where my focus was lying with uh, some of these folks from the IDW, the Intellectual Dark Web. Mm-hmm. And they had put a bunch of stuff up, and it was like almost like filling my mind with kerosene, right? And was like, <laughs> and then, and then I saw I saw the perfect little propaganda poster slash meme on Facebook that acted as the ignition fuse. Bam. Yeah, and I'm just like raging. Like the, I was talking to you yesterday about how I'm Bill from True Blood, and I can't control mm-hmm. when my fangs come out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, I was ripping throats out left and right. I was at the bar. Yeah, just, <laughs> but I caught myself. It, it took a day or two, but I'm sitting here. I'll calm down. Okay. Oh shit! Did that yeah. just? Yeah. Yeah, you son of a bitch. Yeah. And this stuff wasn't produced professionally. This was taken. I I researched it. I I had to go follow the meme because you can do this now on the Internet. It it takes a little work and a little perseverance, but you can follow where these things come from once they're disproven. (laughs) I wasn't I wasn't nailed by some operative. I was nailed by some some twat probably living in his parents basement posting something (laughs) to 8chan. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and then they figure, you know, the the algorithm gets you figured out, and it's oh, this is this is what this is the drug he likes. This is the thing that right. he likes, and and then they keep serving it to you until you they fucking nail you. Well, the right? the, the thing the thing that's more, all, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no I'm sorry. I was, I was getting, I was going ready to go off the rails. Go ahead. <laughs> now, the thing that got me about that whole thing was that this wasn't engineered. You know, the algorithm in, in social media, that was the, the delivery device. That's fine. But the kid or the person, I'm going to assume it's a kid. I'm going to, I have a picture. He's got red hair, freckles, and a patch over his eye. And hey, that's exactly what I looked like when I was a kid without the patch. Really? <laughs> Can't even see. Yeah, I can. I have seen you in your Navy picture before. I guess I can't. Uh. I can't picture that. But this kid, these people, these these these, all they want to do is get a rise. They want somebody to share this. Somebody within some organization, some quote unquote reputable organization, to share it and actually take it seriously, so they can sit there. <laughs> Look what yeah. we did. That's pretty much the point of what they do. But they've gotten very, 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 very good at it. And they've taken the – I don't think they have any concept or clue of what they're doing or how they're doing it, but they've taken these uh, these techniques of propaganda and they've figured out how to use them and how to exploit them. They put a little kernel of truth in there. They put like a, a real-sounding organization. I'm thinking of one in particular right now, right? Mm-hmm. And they take something that is based on something real. That's what got me is that the thing – I'm thinking about the one – I'd have to go look at it, and I don't want to give the wrong impression on it, but it was based on feminism. Mm -hmm. And so they had taken a piece of the meme and based that on something I had heard before from actual feminazis, as I like to call them, because I don't Mm -hmm. like them. That's why I like to call them that. But I'd heard that before, so that was like, oh, this is real. Yeah, I know where that's coming from. That was the entry device into my head. And and they're very, very clever as shit. Yeah. They only want to get a rise out of people, okay? They, they just, they're just doing this to sort of stir the pot and, you know, stoke their own ego and, and, and all that. But it's the same method, the same mechanism that's you being used by people who are actual operatives in yes. some way, shape, or fashion. Yeah, perfect. That's 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 exactly right. And they've got they've sort of figured out, they've got the skeleton key that opens up the door to your brain and you don't have it. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and they know how to unlock that sucker and get in there and you don't even know they're there until you, you take a minute, become self-aware. I like, I like your notion that really the only mitigation against this is just some self-awareness, right? Just, just realize what's coming at you before you react. And they know that, right? So like you said, there's sometimes some just trolls out there just trying to piss you off and they they have fun with that. But there are other people who have, who have figured out how to do that professionally. Yeah, and and turn it into a a, a weapon, and um, you don't know it's coming. Yeah. You just don't know. Yeah, and I and, think I, I've had this uh, one of the ideas I had in the shower yesterday. We were talking about. Them. <laughs> I wish I could remember everything coming out of the shower. I really do. Yeah, it's like, you almost it's need like, to record it, right? Yeah, you almost right. need to record a conversation. Yeah, pretty much just like vo- like vocal notes. Somebody should yeah. invent that. Something you can hang in the shower head that'll record your shower thoughts, and then you can get it when you come yeah. out. You but, always get great ideas when you're in the shower. Yeah, and, and one of the ones I was thinking about yesterday had to do with the Manchurian propagandist thing. Mm-hmm. That I don't think that the kid at 4chan or 8chan, whatever, I forget, what, one of the chans, he didn't understand what he was doing, but he had been paying attention. He had been seeing it. Over and over and over again, and he figured out, I think, just instinctively or intuitively, the psychological mechanisms at play and how they worked. I think as a culture and a society, I think millions and millions and millions of us have done the exact same thing. We don't realize it. We don't understand what we're seeing. We just understand how it makes us feel. We like how it makes us feel. So we want to use that to our in-group. We also see how somebody supposedly is owning someone else. 
Mm-hmm. And we want to do that to our enemies and our, you know, uh, opponents. So we take these little elements of these things that we see and, and learn how to construct absentmindedly, completely oblivious and devoid of the consequences or the psychological manipulations at play and, and become Manchurian propagandists. I think, mil- mm-hmm. and I, I honestly believe that that has taken over. Or I'm coming to believe, I should say, that's taking over the entire informational ecosystem. I don't have an argument against that. I think you're right. I really do. Because, there, well, there is no argument against that. The proof is everywhere you turn, right? <laughs> yeah. Everywhere. If that's the case, I mean. <laughs> I started to get, I got a little more, I got a little more, uh, I want to say anxious. Anxiety and fear are basically two sides of the same coin. But I want to say I got a little anxious over this this uh, this militia thing. Yeah. Um, and these people who are, who are uh, you know, when you're talking about, you know, intentionally trying to start a civil war. Yeah. You, know, you you mentioned fear, and that's the first thing that came to my mind. Is yeah, lately I'm a little more afraid than I usually am. You know me; I tend to try to believe the best outcomes of things. I tend to believe that you know, as a as a society, we tend to do the right thing in the long run, even though we stumble sometimes. In this case, I'm not I'm not so sure. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think tr- traditionally we have, but the the X factor. It's the Matrix. It's it the is. dueling uh, informational universe, War of the Virtual Worlds, the thing we mm-hmm. talked about a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. this ability to isolate ourselves off in these parallel universes. And mm-hmm. and as I said just a minute ago, the Manchurian propagandist thing where we just are waging war with bullshit information. There's no tethering <laughs> right. to reality or fact at all. That's yeah. the next factor. This is new to the human experience. The, the level of this and how it's saturating every aspect of society. That is, is what, that is what makes it different. You're absolutely yeah. right. So yeah. we have no idea. We are, uh, you can be optimistic, and I would be too if things were the same as they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. I would be, okay, yeah, we're not going to elect. I thought that in 2016. We're not going to elect this guy. We do the right thing. Yeah, okay, there's a George Wallace every now and then, but he usually yeah. doesn't win. He never right. wins a big election like this. And I woke up across from, you know, Cheyenne Mountain the next morning, just like, what the fuck happened? I think everybody woke up like that, right? That's why we have not been able to factor in the true effect, both psychologically and socially, of this medium, this technology, and what it's mm-hmm. doing to our ability to comprehend the fucking world. No, you're absolutely right. And I know there's, uh, a, a, there's a lot more conversation about it. And I don't know if it's more conversation lately or if it's just... Since you and I have started talking about it on this podcast, maybe I'm just noticing it more. Um, but I, I, I've noticed that there, there are more conversations about you know, congressional hearings, more people testifying, what, what is the damage being done. You know, a lot of this stuff is, is kind of front and center, maybe not on the A section of the newspaper, but at least maybe in the B section of the newspaper. And there's a lot going on in Congress about it too. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm hoping that... Um, you know, some, something something comes out of that, some kind of change. I don't know that these companies are going to get broken up. I think they, I think something came out last week that said that that was not a recommendation by the committee to break up the companies. But there needs to be somebody, there's some way to tap the brakes on this information, but I don't think anybody knows how to do that, um, mainly because of our uh, obsession with, you know, free speech porn and, you know, all this yeah. kind of stuff where where, you know, my freedom to say whatever I want trumps, no, no pun intended, trumps any semblance of fact that comes out of my mouth, right? Yeah. But there, you know, wait a minute. There are some laws against sort of intentionally getting people riled up. What is that called? We have to look that up. We have to find that. Maybe one of your listeners knows this. There are laws against getting people 
intentionally provocation laws. You're talking, is that what you're talking about? Like provocation? Uh, yeah, provocation. Uh, Ins- inciting a riot. That yeah, kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I wonder if that could apply. Yeah, there's something that you just said that uh, Walter Lippmann, I don't have the book here and I don't know where to find the quote. I wish I did because it's absolutely perfect. I have used it on the show before where he was talking, he, he became a, sort of an anti-Democrat. He started out as a socialist and later through his, I don't know, middle age years, he sort of became like a lot of people. The guy that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, um, Carlin, Dan Carlin, he's like a we the people guy and now he's not so not quite so sure. I don't know if the people can really decide what's best for the people. I don't know. Yeah, okay, maybe not. And I went through this myself. Well, Lippmann went through the same thing, and he, he began to talk about uh, free speech. And one of the things that he came up with was, God, it's so brilliant. I wish I had it sitting here in front of me. But when the, the right to bleach your holy opinion, say anything you want, becomes so devoid of truth or tethering to fact— that it just becomes irrelevant and chaff in the grill, the mill, or what I, I uh-huh. and it's uh-huh. he said it so much better than I did. I wish I had it here in front of me. No, but, but it, you, yeah, no, you yeah, you're you're making sense though. It makes sense yeah. to me. You're probably right, but at some point, there's got to be a way to pump the brakes on this shit without shutting it all down, without shutting social media down, without taking the ability to broadcast your latest intellectual fart. Into everyone's <laughs> yeah. home around the globe instantaneously. That's the thing. Instantaneously, at your every whim, be able to say anything you want to anyone you want, no matter where they're at, no matter whether or not they want to hear it or not. Without being able to do that, I don't know how you pump the brakes on it because this this shit is addicting. I think there are times when the laws can can apply that that it's where it's not being applied. You know, like I'm talking about, there are there are laws against inciting riots and so you know mm-hmm. yelling fire in a crowded theater. That's again, you know, that kind of shit. Sure. Uh, and it applies to this kind of stuff too, probably vaguely, if somebody ever wanted to actually apply the law to these organizations. But the idea that the free speech itself is more valuable than the, the, the preservation of free speech is more valuable than disallowing garbage to be, you know, sent out and broadcast and, and spoken um, is probably right. So then then it comes back to really what you've been saying, and that is it's personal responsibility, yeah. right? Well, that's what Lippmann said. You know, yeah, it's personal responsibility. You need to take the time to become educated on the facts, and but then you got to trust that people will, right? And if, and if they don't, then you end up where we are right now. Yeah, and I, I, I have almost completely lost that trust. I mean, I, I was having this conversation with Chris yesterday and, you know, it was triggered and in, in, in something you said a couple of weeks ago, the last time you were on really got me to thinking about this because of, you know, the divisiveness conversation, the exchange we had about that and tribalism. Like, are we talking out, in, out of both sides of our mouth when we're talking about being tribal or decrying tribalism while being divisive and being tribal, right? Yes. I, I had to really think about that because you're half right. And I addressed that in the podcast last week, I think, really well. Uh, but where's, where's the tribe here? Where is my tribe? You know, I, I want to meet my tribesmen. If, I'm be, if I am being tribal, where are they? <laughs> See, that's, yeah, that's, no, the, that's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really, I have two people that I talk to on a regular basis about this in person, physically talk to, and it's you and Chris. I talk to mm-hmm. uh, the girlfriend about it every now and then as well, but she, yeah. you know her. So <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. She does she's what got, she can. She has, she's got a low tolerance for this kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's, <laughs> yeah. It, 
She doesn't like to swim in feces like I do. Apparently, she's no, normal. But, but she's but she's also very self aware and she understands yeah. the topics and she you know she she gets educated on right. the on on the issues and stuff like that. Yeah. So she's. I I kind of well, went off the rails. Let me finish up my point there. The point about the tribalism was that it, I I I have such a low trust level for people to actually want to do this to want to search out the truth, detach from, get their dog out of the fight, leave the congregation and examine, you know, the religious landscape with their own two eyes. And that's why I do not have, I don't have a group because it would seem like if I, you can't avoid tribalism. Tribalism is ingrained into us. It's part of who we are. That's one mistake that I think I've made is that I, you can't eliminate it. But how do you create a tribe of people who are independent thinkers who do not subscribe to one side or the other, one religion or another? How do you do that? Well, I think you're doing it, right? You have a podcast and, and you have, uh, you know, a, a not very active, but you have, a, you have a, a, a Facebook page where you have some people on there able to comment. You, you do have a small uh, tribe that I think understands this stuff. Um, and it, I think it just becomes a matter of, of uh, folks who understand these things going out and talking to other people. I have. I've, I've mentioned people. I don't. I wouldn't say we're, they were in the same tribe, yeah. but they do seem to understand what I'm talking about when I mention, you know, uh, how, how social media is really, you know, almost without being hyperbolic, you know, really the destruction of our society. Yeah. Um, and they get it, and, I, and your listeners get it. So you do, I would say you do have a bit of a tribe. Yeah, though, though small, and it's becoming more vocal, right? Because you've got that documentary that just came out last month, um, and, uh, the social dilemma, right? So, yeah. so that's out there, and I, you know, millions of people are watching this documentary. They're they're probably there's probably a seed planted in there, um, and that might be enough of a seed that creates a bit of a gatekeeper to information. That's really what you're hoping for, right? Is is people start really filtering information to get better information to get the good stuff? Yeah, but then there's uh, there's another problem with that though as well. So where do you get it? Well, I you know I've had a lot. I've had good luck with my hometown newspaper. It's a good newspaper. It's been around for 190 years, I think, and uh, and and the, the 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 reporting is good and it's solid. And you have these organizations out there that do good, solid reporting, and um, other people will agree. Uh, the idea, I guess, maybe that's the first lesson, right? Is how how do you figure out who's giving you bullshit and who's giving you news? I wonder, though, if if sometimes the fact that oftentimes it's hard to understand the news, and I wonder if that's the problem, is we've become so undereducated in uh, the workings of the government and the world that we almost depend on somebody to translate the news for us, and there and there's the beginning. That's the problem. Right? There's there's a section in Lul's book, Propaganda, that I uh, that scares me. I haven't gotten to this part yet. There's two sections actually. One is Propaganda and Truth. He he gets he has a section I've read. Read it. I haven't addressed it yet, but it, it's how propaganda affects the ability to perceive the truth. Obviously, mm-hmm. hugely important. Another one is propaganda and information. Mm-hmm. And his insight into that was that propaganda and information are almost indistinguishable. Yeah, that's, that's terrifying. That's, yeah, that's it's absolutely true because oftentimes I just know from you know working in the business. Oftentimes I'll write a press release which I know is it's factual. But I might choose adverbs that are a little hyperbolic. I might choose adjectives that are a little more descriptive and maybe a little bigger, make things a little bit bigger than what what they are. Yeah. Um, and I've seen that press release get published verbatim in a news organization, yeah. and, and and it's pure PR. 
Yeah. Right. Spin. There might be one. There might be one paragraph of you know useful information in there, but the rest of it's pure PR, and that, that's what I do. Yeah, it's editorializing. That's the equivalent, I think, of Brooke Baldwin on CNN. You notice I don't, you don't watch CNN. Yeah. She uh, has not been on that 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 station in a few weeks. She got removed. And I've been really? Why? I have no idea. Nobody said. Uh, well, no, I actually have her on. I have the CNN all, on all day in my yeah. office. I haven't muted up on the wall. Yeah. But. I've been ripping her an asshole for two years because she's one of the worst. She doesn't come out and, and fully, fully, fully vocally editorialize like Don Lemon or Chris Cuomo at night. But she, her facial expressions and the way she sighs, her tone, her inflection... <laughs> It reminds me of what you were saying about using the adjective, using the the the, the adjective of choice to imply yeah. an opinion, to editorialize in one word form, right? She does. Mm-hmm. That's the, almost the exact uh, equivalent of Brooke Baldwin sitting there with a scowl on her face, like somebody farted at the desk. No, you're absolutely right, and I, I know exactly who you're talking about. And real journalists understand that. Yeah. Real journalists who have been trained have, have live by an ethical code. You know, they're still out there and. And all the way down to the adverb and adjective level, they understand that they have to be careful with it. I know that because I have journalism training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't become a journalist, but I was trained that way. And I remember yeah. learning about, now be careful with this adjective because it changed the, changes the meaning of what you're really trying to say. You don't want this descriptive here because while accurate, it can mean something else that maybe you don't want to go there. So what happens though is when people aren't trained and when they're not subjected to any kind of ethical, when they haven't earned the right to use the knowledge, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. then, then they're, they're not disciplined. And without the discipline in writing, you end up with what we have now. We yeah. end up with people going to Facebook for their news. But you've got people who are in the organizations that have maybe abandoned that. Maybe it's become trendy or acceptable to abandon that sort of ethical training. What you're talking about is journalistic ethics here. Into journalistic integrity and ethics. Yeah. But also it, it has to do with where, who's signing their paychecks too. Exactly. You work for a company like Sinclair. Which is, which is pretty much, you know, whatever they need to do to communicate with your people, that's fine. But what they're doing isn't news. Yeah. It's all painted. It's all colored. And, and that's the corporate, right? So mm-hmm. you may have genuine journalists working there, but they have, they have mortgages to pay and families to feed. And they're not, so they're not going to step outside. And then they get corrupted by the corporation. And this, you know, I can't really blame Brooke Baldwin here. I, I mean, get really I can't. passionate about this journalist argument. No, I, I that's do. my passion. It's well, that's good because we we have a <laughs> we have some symbiosis symbiosis there because mm-hmm. it is mine as well because that the journalist is the 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 link between the free press and the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are the ones that are the intermediary. This is how it's delivered is through the journalist. And if the journalist doesn't have that training or isn't adhering to it, right. then you've got a yeah you got a serious problem and you you can't really. You can, you can blame Brooke Baldwin to a point, but she's an easy target because her face is out there. It's the person behind her, the person that put her in that position and left her in that position mm-hmm. who's to blame. They're responsible and accountable for the product on their network. And if that product is designed to provoke a reaction more than it is to inform the public because of economics – Mm-hmm. then that's that in and of itself. I mean, if you want to get to directly to the core of the problem, that's it right there. They've chosen the dollar sign over their responsibility inside of a democracy. They need to pluck the emotional string to get you to come back. Right. And that's watch more. Yeah. And then again, we can go, then we have to take it a little bit further. Okay. Well then who's really to blame here? Is it then uh, this is where I've always been. It's the people because that's what we back. want. They have to yeah. give it to us. Because yeah. if, they, if, they, if they don't give us what we want, there's a billion choices for information out there. We'll go someplace that's friendly, that tastes good, 
and, and they will be out of business. And their ratings drop and their advertising revenue drops and pretty soon they go away. So it's us. It's us. <laughs> yeah, it's us. It, it, it always comes back to individuals. Yes. Right? Yeah. And individuals need to make uh, better choices. I'm just going to leave it at that. We, we, need to make, we need to make better choices yeah. as human beings yeah. in just about everything we do. Well, particularly this, for the, the, yeah. the context of this, con- this podcast and the material that we're covering, this is everything. It really is. I am terrified. You know, I, we should probably move on to that militia thing because and the kidnapping pro- plot, we're both in Michigan. You're on the east side. I'm on the west side. Lansing's right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And these militia members were all over the state. They had, I think there were a few on your side. We had one who uh, was in Blainwell right up the road, <laughs> right up by Allegan. You've forgotten wow. where that's at. Wow. Uh, the ringleader was, uh, I think he lived in Grand Rapids in the basement of a vacuum cleaner shop. You talk about Breaking Bad. That's what I thought of. Well, that, that, that fits. It fits, the, it fits the, the, the mold, what we're talking about for these type of folks. I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't want to cast them all with the same brush, but, but there is a certain um, characterization of, of the individuals that get involved in these organizations, and that, uh, that fits. What would you think it would be? The characteristics, the general characteristics as you understand them, the ones that you can identify as, how would you? Wow, that's that's a really deep conversation, especially when you get into the psychological aspects of it and stuff like that. But, you know, there are certain similarities, right? Um, young to middle-aged white guys, disenfranchised, futures are precarious, they're naturally paranoid, you know, they have obsessions or they have this... Um, weird comfort with weapons that most people probably don't have. Um, and they, uh, they tend to be a little bit extreme on the, they, 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 they might be racist. They might be sexist. Um, all of these things, they might be those things because they see the world as having wronged them, right, in some way. So there's a whole lot going on there. And a lot of it has to do with low tolerance for frustration, it's a, it's a common uh, psychological factor. And also uh, this sort of demandingness that life needs to be fair, right? They believe, you know, they believe that everything about life needs to be fair and it must be fair and it has to be fair and nothing wrong can happen to me. Then they start spinning themselves, I think, out of control. And then the right person comes along on the right website or the right social media account with who agrees with them. And then soon there's a little tribe forming and pretty soon you've got all these guys spinning in their own shit. And, and then they've got to take it out somewhere. And I, and that, that, what I just gave you was a real rudimentary look at what this is and what these folks look at. Mm -hmm. But, but um, generally speaking that they're, they tend to be uh, a little undereducated. Not that I don't mean that as offensively to folks who aren't highly educated. I'm just saying that these folks generally have, you know, less than high school oftentimes. And they, it's easy for them to, um, to get sort of indoctrinated into these beliefs because they see a tribe that they can, um, they can identify with because the world around them is, is it's, it's becoming foreign to them, right? Uh-huh. And it's not the world that they uh, thought that they lived in. And things are happening so quickly with all of the various movements and all of the things that uh, people are standing up against. It becomes too much for them, you know. From a super, super basic kind of psychological understanding, that that that's that's kind of what you're dealing with here. Some of those things, I, I when you were listening, and, to and, I, I, and I just want to say fundamental, fundamental. Um, 
uh, what am I might want to say, a fundamental uh, Christian fundamentalism. That's a, that plays a, a pretty big part in it too. This uh, this dogmatic belief in what's right and what's wrong, and um, this is what we talked about. I think two weeks ago, and you put it a lot better than I did. Where where you have this this view, and it has to be the world view because it's my view. Yep. What is that? What is that? What is that called? It's like a mandatory belief. Um, no, uh, you said it. Uh, well, I, I was. I, I thought you were going to go down the moral imperative line. The that's idiot, it. That, yeah. that was it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's it. Too. A lot of these traits. It sounds like not all of them. A lot of them are specific to the the militia movement. I think, but a lot of these traits. When I when you're reading these off, I'm not thinking of the militia movement. I'm thinking of the woke flakes. I'm thinking of mm. the, the people at the DSA convention screaming comrade last year. You have to find what the key difference is, but right, there are a lot of similarities. And maybe the key difference is fear, right? We know that research has shown that people who tend to be more conservative are driven by fear, right? And people who tend to be more liberal are more driven by hope, right? Hope and potential. Idealism. Uh, Idealism, right. Um, And those two things are, are very different, and they create a very different beast, you know what I'm saying? Though though they can be just as loud and obnoxious. Yeah. Though the one side is less apt to kill you than the other side. Are they? I would say so. My mind is going about 15 different directions, and I'm trying to figure out if I want to walk that line. I don't think I want to walk that plank today because I, I disagree with that. I, I think that in, in the beginning— Maybe I, I just I don't agree with that. I don't think that militia groups, that the far right militia groups at their core, taking a, a wide view historical context, I don't think they are less likely or more likely to kill you than left wing radicals are. You're probably right. I think I think, you know, when I when I create this summary, uh, what I'm talking about are the extreme groups. Yeah. Realize most militia groups by far are not violent against other people. They're not planning you know, to overthrow right. any, but they're not planning civil wars. They're not planning. They're a bunch of guys who go out in the woods and shoot their guns at targets. And just in case there might be a need to defend the state, they're there. And that's, that's kind of their mindset. A lot of preppers, that kind of thing. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. If that's your thing, fine, go for it. What I'm talking about are the extreme of the extreme. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you're right. The extreme of the extreme on both sides, I think can be pretty violent. The militia movement is, is isolated and it's an American phenomenon. You know, yeah. it's within these borders. You don't hear about, well, maybe you do. I don't, I haven't heard of too many Swiss militias, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just haven't. Yeah, right. Whereas far left extremism is an international thing. I mean, we've seen uh, how these extreme socialist movements, these communist movements, what's happened in Cuba? I can get, we can get my friend Joe. His parents uh, were refugees from Cuba a few decades ago, escaping Castro. We can get him on the on the phone to talk about how you know that movement affected Cuba. How many people were killed by Che Guevara and mm-hmm. people in Cuba because they didn't tow the ideological line? How many people were right. thrown in gulags? How many people yeah. you know died of star? Well, I don't want to bring the starvation comment into it, but how many people in China under Mao mm-hmm. were killed because they didn't tow the ideological line? You're right. No, you're right. Absolutely, you're right. Yeah, I, I kind of twitched a little bit at that. And I, uh, the other thing was uh, this, this need for fairness and what I, I guess is justice. That's a common ailment that, that most, a lot of people have. I used to see when I used to be a practicing therapist, a lot of people bring that into therapy. And it's, yeah. it's one of the great uh, problems that people have. But this, this is just a problem that's also common to these kind of guys. Right? Yeah. My mind shot immediately to the left because we're hearing all the chants right now about no justice, no peace. Well, what is justice? Mm-hmm. Justice mm-hmm. is fairness. The intolerance of frustration because we live in an imperfect society. 
And society Mm -hmm. hasn't reached utopia in 200 years. We're impatient. We need this to happen now. We need our idealism to be realized, and we need it. We want it. We demand it now. Yeah. That's what I thought of. You were applying this to the right-wing guys. But that's exactly what I was thinking to myself. And I think these traits, and I'm not trying to put more blame on the left than on the right. We were having a conversation about the extremists and the kidnapping plot here. But I think these traits... This is why I think these these groups, these far right groups and these far left groups are flip sides of the same fucking coin. Mm-hmm. They just worship mm-hmm. different God. It's like being in the Middle East and being an Arab or being a Jew. It doesn't matter. The conflict is there. It doesn't really matter what side you've mustered up with. Yeah. The conflict is there. The bombs are going off. People are getting shot. Mm-hmm. Either way. You know, we, we talked yesterday about the need for... <laughs> And I don't know how to generate this, but there has to be a pressure release valve hit at some point where we can just and bring the temperature down. Just yeah, that, that's going to take people like us in the middle. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm tend to be a little bit middle left. I think you tend to be just a little bit more straight up in the middle, at least the way, the way it sounds to me right now. Depends on the issue. But. Yeah, it depends on the issue. Whereas I tend to be a little bit more conservative when it comes to defense and things like that. But yeah. I'm generally, generally a little left on a lot of things. But, but you're absolutely right. You can, you can kind of pick and choose and, and, you know, and fit a lot of these things into, into the puzzle on both sides. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just, it's radicalization. And it's the same no matter where you are, yeah. right? So if you take the same kind of principles, you could you could pretty much take the way these thirteen guys came together, and change some of the words, and it looks like it came straight out of uh, a Middle Eastern country who's yeah. who's radicalized. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's it, there's not just not a lot of difference there. People are people no matter where you go, and the psychological factors involved in in creating radicalization are the same no matter where you go. If once it becomes your, I guess, religion whether it is religion or whether it's just a belief, but once it becomes similar to religious belief, uh, like, you, like you call it, a moral imperative, that's, I think, is when it gets dangerous. When it becomes self-righteousness, and that's when this uh, Diddy and yeah. you enter the field of the madman. Yeah. The totalitarian, the authoritarian, the dictator. Yeah. That's when it gets to, well, I have to punish people who don't believe the way I do. Right. You have to save them or you have to crucify them. Or you have to kill them. Yeah. But you can't, you can't have both. Right, but then that goes back to forever. Right, right. well, <laughs> the Crusades. And, yep, it's part of human nature, uh, man. Yeah, it's yeah. what we do. That's what we did when I, I mentioned this before. We hit Latin America. We hit the oh, east man. coast of the United States. There were Indians here. Oh shit! Well, <laughs> we're gonna take care of that. They're they're savages. They're not yeah. really people. They don't yeah. worship Jesus Christ. So, yep, gotta it's go. Just us, man. I was gonna talk about the the militia guys because I I have. I wouldn't say I know a lot of these folks, but I grew up in the sweaty redneck groin of Michigan down around Indiana, Ohio. <laughs> There's no interstate down there. This is Trump country, very conservative, very racist in the yeah. literal sense. And I know a lot of folks who are I, – I, I don't know if they are members of the militia. I tried to find out a little bit more about this a few months ago and because – the, the material that I've been talking about, I've, I've been predicting something like this with Whitmer for a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, assassinations – all of that stuff. And this is just, in my view, the tip of the iceberg. You see this one event, these 13 people here in this state, and what's riding beneath the surface, what's bobbing yeah. down there in the sea, in the murky black sea that you haven't seen yet, would astound you. Yeah, do you think this is the Boston Tea Party, basically? And um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I couldn't quite get a fix on it because they're very secretive. They didn't want to talk to me. They don't trust Which, me. 
which is really it's kind of strange to me because they they feel like that they're guaranteed by the Second Amendment to have this right. You shall have you know it's because a well formed militia and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't they they really honestly believe that um, it's it's within their right to be in a militia. Why the secretiveness? Yeah. Why 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 does it have to be secret well, if it's your right? Well, then we're we're going to start talking about conspiracy theories. We're going to start talking a lot of different. Yeah, I just don't things. understand it. I, uh, and and two, look what happened this week. Look how they were brought down. Yeah. You know, FBI. Yeah. 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 So the fewer people they talk to about it, <laughs> the less risk there is of being, in, I guess, infiltrated. But if you're worried about being infiltrated, what are you doing? <laughs> well, and they, you know, and most, and the, the group was formed on social media, right, through Facebook accounts. Yeah. One of one of the dudes is posting videos with his radical shit, yeah. and, uh, and 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 then they use like this encryption and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. so it's all happening over social media and web and email and all that kind of stuff in the basement of a hardware store under a trap door. Well, they're getting together. You know? They they got together in person on the east side of the state. They they met up in Ohio. Oh, so there, yeah, it's not just social media. Not the first time this has happened to a Michigan governor, by the way. It's not. It was, no, there was one. Uh, I think the governor before uh, Mitt Romney's dad. I forget George Romney's. It was. Yeah, was I that, think so. The, the one before him. I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. It was actually in the Free Press this morning. So that's why I know it. I don't walk around with this knowledge. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he was he was uh, visiting. Uh, he had some kind of visit uh, to a prison, one of the big prisons in Michigan, and he was taken and, and held at knife point by some prisoners there. <laughs> It just seems like okay, the governor's here. Let's take him. We can get out, kind of thing. Yeah, you know? it's, than, it's different. It's yeah. different. It's not like we, they were planning on civil yeah. war or anything. They were they were probably just wanting to get new rights, get better rights, or yeah. or t- let's take the governor. Maybe we can get out of here or something. But the point is, it's not the first time bad things happen. And yeah. these things do. These things do come up. This state is a hotbed for this activity. Have you heard of Hootery? They mentioned it in the one of the newscasts the other day. Hootery. Yeah. Hootery. H u t a r e e. That's a oh. group that was down in Lenawee County which is Adrian, down in the southern part of the state, sort of between Jackson and Detroit, down south. And they were plotting to um, shoot police officers, kill police officers, and then bomb the funerals. What? Yeah. Who fucking thinks of that? I mean, Jesus. They uh, they were, you know, the plot, just like this one, was broken up. Some of these guys went... I mean, what do they want? The same thing. It's, I think it's the same thing. I think it's it's to start some sort of civil unrest, civil war, because they see. And I, you know, I gotta admit, I'm sort of conflicted in my opinion of these guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I understand a bit where they're coming from, just a bit. I mean, I'm not saying I. I think Gretchen. You know, I support. I supported what she did with the lockdowns. Our state has rebounded from what was happening in this state in Michigan back in March and April. Has rebounded yeah. nicely. I joined a gym the other day. Good for you. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I don't have to worry about going out and, you know, contracting this virus in this state. As long as I stay yeah. out, of, out of your part of the state, I'm <laughs> reasonably, yeah, yeah, reasonably yeah. safe. She did a good yeah. job, I think, with that. Well, they think that she is, you know, the second coming of Hitler, right? Yeah. You know, the conspiracy, this is just a primer to take your rights away next, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't have any sympathy for that kind of thinking whatsoever, but I do understand where they're coming from as far as the culture war stuff, as far as the leftist infiltration of the country. Mm-hmm. I understand where they're coming from with that. Now, do I 100% agree with it? I agree with some of it, not all of it. I understand the mindset. I don't understand completely what they're doing in reaction to it. And to be perfectly honest with you, as far as the Second Amendment goes, if the country goes to shit in the next six months, I want to be able to go to the gun store up the street and get myself a gun. They're sold out. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? I don't know. I, mean, I haven't it, looked. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been difficult from what I've heard. You can, and if you can get if you can get a weapon, you can't get ammo. Yeah. Right. Um, but these guys, you know, another thought that I had, you know, with 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 the type of people these are, on both sides, right? Because you and I'm sure you can think of some examples. But most of the time, the people in militias or you know, which tend to be more conservative, or the people who are on the extreme left, these are people who have trouble fitting in anywhere else, right? They 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 they're just kind of getting through. They're just a, it's people who just can't seem to fit in, no matter what group. Um, you know, comes along, and and so what they see in these groups is a sense of um, of of a belonging, right? Oftentimes, and I and I've read this, only a handful of the people that are in these groups actually have any genuine commitment to their cause. They're members because they've been alienated by society, and they need to find people that they can identify with, right? Other alienated people, uh, and, and so. Once you really get into the the heads of some of these guys, you figure out that uh, they really don't even believe any of this shit that they're that they're spilling. They just they just want to get approval from from the guy that's in charge of the group or whatever, right? Yeah, it reminds me of the propaganda stuff. Yeah, it really is. It's <laughs> yeah. it's just it's it's just not. I don't know. They get they, they take vulnerable, generally young men, and just like anywhere else, right? And they bring them into this indoctrination when they're very easily influenced and it's uh it, it's criminal you know it's criminal what they're doing to these guys minds i don't know i don't know I, i'm i'm thinking of the people that i do know both on the left and on the right who have become susceptible to this mm-hmm. the real extremism and, and mm-hmm. i would agree with you in a lot of cases but yeah not all of them i mean some of the people that i know are very well adjusted they have um a lot of friends. They have a big social group. They always have had a big social group, and they're ju- they're just as passionately indoctrinated as somebody who maybe you know might be a fringe critter that needed a place to hang out, place to get in from the cult. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Any port, right? Yeah. And if you're looking at it as, as a religion, if you if you're putting it through that, taking it through that lens and that prism, which I love to do. I mean, hey, you can go into any church. I mean, the people who are members of any congregation in any church anywhere, not all of them are outcasts. You know, these are pillars of the community, people who belong, but maybe they're getting their sense of belonging or their 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 um, identity, their social identity from I don't know. But it, does, it could it, be, or maybe they're maybe they're the pillars of society, but they see their society changing so rapidly they don't know how to process it. And somebody yes. comes along and says says, "Hey, yeah, here's my group. We believe the same." Yeah, you know, uh, you know it, it's 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 cult. It's cultism. I I don't know. I I I, I can empathize with. Or at least understand. I don't know if I can fully empathize, but I, I can I can understand the anger about how society is changing. I can understand where that's coming. And I've had a. I'm not really ready to to have this conversation with you per se. Uh, not yet. I need to get my facts straight and get my head straight around it. But you know, I I've come to see the, the far left movement as sort of a um, an insurgency. That's the agitation propaganda angle. Agitation propaganda is the propaganda of insurgency. It's meant to destabilize whatever's there. And the reason I say this is because the American myth, the American religion, the cohesive narrative, you know, all myths are bullshit to some some degree, to some extent, right? All men are created equal. Yeah, well, <laughs> women, you don't vote, and those black guys over there, they're two-thirds. Of okay, so it's bullshit. Yeah. There's, there's a disconnect there. Right. But the Amer- the foundational myth, the thing that has made this country what it is, that created the American tribe. Right. That was united, at least to some degree, together, was founded upon individualism and freedom 
Mm-hmm. Collectivism and individualism are mutually <clears throat> exclusive. They are oil and water. They are black and white. Socialism has been trying to get a foothold in this country for a hundred years. It it's already got a pretty, I mean, it's already got a pretty, I mean, think extreme about social, it. Think extreme about, socialism. Extreme yeah. socialism. Okay, okay. That's what I'm gotcha. talking about. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. And one of the reasons that uh, communism didn't do better in the 1930s was Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his New Deal reforms, giving the socialists, giving the leftists something so that they could say, okay, well, we got this. I guess we don't really need to take over the entire fucking country. Yeah. Sort of taking things down a little bit, offering a little, okay, a little compromise. But socialism, the far left, has not been able to really, really, really take over the, the fabric of the country. The religion hasn't been able to come ashore in its boat, come in, tear down the idols, tear down the church, and pronounce the new religion of collectivism. Yeah. No. Oh, wow. But it's trying. I've made the connection between – I find the colonialism – colonialism is all over the, the far left – um, zeitgeist these days. You're a, you're a colonist. You're an imperialist. <laughs> right. And what I see is collectivism is not native to this country. It, it isn't. Our, our foundational myth, as I said, is based on, on individualism, the antithesis of collectivism, self-determination, you're your own man. All right? Yeah. <laughs> and socialism and collectivism, I shouldn't say socialism. I, th- I think when I say socialism, a lot of people think that I'm talking about social economics, like the economic issues. That's not what I'm talking right, about. Right, right, right. I'm talking about the culture war shit and uh, this idea of the, the collectivist utopia and the, uh, the noble savage. See, this is mm-hmm. why I wanted to get mm-hmm. my shit together before because it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different areas where this comes together. The point is, the point that I'm trying to make is that I've, I've come to see this as almost like a religious war, like a— Cortez landing on the beach trying to establish Catholicism in this new world. Mm-hmm. First, he has to depose what's there. And mm-hmm. I've, I'm seeing this connection between tearing down George Washington statues, calling Thomas Jefferson a racist, canceling everything about American history. What this boils down to is tearing down the idols, tearing down the old idols, tearing down the barbarian idols after you've come ashore so you can prop up your own, so you can eventually tear the temples down to erect yours. You have to change the narrative. You have to change the national religion. And when bringing it back to what we were talking about before with these militia groups, I don't think what they're seeing is 100% paranoia. 80% maybe. It's not all paranoia. They are detecting something that's there and responding to it. They are defending what they see as their faith. Yeah, it's moral absolutism, right? And um, they feel like they need to uh, defend it. Um, but then again, it depends on who you talk to. Is it is it time for us to look at some of these idols and say, maybe, I mean, yes, there's history there, but do they need to be in the town square? Um, is it time for us to look at some of the ways we've done business for the last 200 years socially and, and say, yeah, maybe it's time for us to reinvent ourselves a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so it's like you said, you know, the, the, it, there's, there, it may, it's not entirely paranoia. But it's it, but it's also a changing society that they're just not ready for. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And 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 they don't have the God. I want to say capacity, but I that, I don't mean that because I I don't think these guys are stupid by any sense. I'm not <laughs> implying that. No, they're not. I'm just saying that they just don't have the um, uh, 
the flexibility of mind, right? To look at uh, look at something that's that's coming, look at something that's new, and wonder if it might be better for who? afterwards. For who? I don't know. Well, let's talk know. about self-interest. I mean, we're talking. Yeah. We're trying to be realistic as far as human nature, okay? And we are typically driven by our own self-interest, typically. Typically, yeah, yeah. sure. So yeah, I mean, why, that's really what, yeah, I mean, if, even when we talk on a societal level, it's our self-interest that's driving that. Right. So why would they, if they are in a position of privilege, as we're constantly being told, we're middle white, middle-aged white men and their white privilege, their unfair privilege, if that's mm-hmm. true, how is it rational in any way, shape, or fashion to want to give that up? Why would you subjugate yourself? Why would you lower yourself willingly to a point where you're subjugated to someone else when you're already where you probably want to be? Yeah, right. No, it's, it goes against every, every aspect of what makes sense to a human being. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 then there some, but then you have to look at the suffering of other people. Right? Abstract you have to be able to concepts look at that. of fairness and justice. Yeah, and then you have to look at that and go, well, is there a way that I can help? Right. If if you if you're inclined to that sort of thing. Right. Is there a way that I can help? Is there something that maybe I'm doing that is contributing to that suffering? Are you morally obligated? Is it a moral imperative that you do that? I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's if it's an imperative or if it's just, um, you know, if it's uh, if it's something that you believe is right. Does that make it a moral imperative uh, individually? Do I have oh, a moral? No, like me. Do I have a moral imperative to uh, to donate money to organizations that I think are are helpful? Um, a moral maybe, imperative to apply to yourself, though. That's yeah, not really yeah. what we're talking about. We're, what we're talking about when we say moral imperatives is that you must do this because I believe it's correct. You donating to a, a nonprofit or something, you're not demanding that I do it. Well, no, yeah, I mean, no, of course not. Yeah, so you're kind of talking basically about our tax system, <laughs> right? Right. So, so you get into the, 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 then we can get into a conversation about social security tax, right? Payroll tax. Um, it, is that, a, is it a moral imperative for us to take care of our older citizens? And in so doing, let's impose this tax is, where everybody has to contribute. Let's not, that way, let's not right? go, let's not go that direction just yet because I, uh, is it a moral imperative? Are these folks morally obligated to examine their position on the social totem pole, examine the position of some other group who probably certainly has been oppressed, persecuted, however you want to look at it. Is it a moral imperative that each and every white person in this country, white male particularly, look at that position and say, geez, I need to help change my position of privilege? I think it depends on who you ask. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. I, I'm still a bit of an individualist. And I, but but if, 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 uh, if someone is causing harm, blatantly causing harm, then yeah, there's a moral imperative to change that. And it's, and it's obvious, right? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, you know, cause then you're, then you're getting into, you know, um, you know, mandatory, ma- you're yeah. mandata- ma- mandating behavior. Yep. And, right. And then, yep. <laughs> that's where, it, that's where the, the, this whole philosophy about socialism that I'm, I'm going to get to with, with you and I'll probably get to it with Chris at some point as well. It's not really yeah. all that conflicting, but that's where it ends yeah. because what you're talking about is you're, you have to embrace the noble savage. You have to embrace the blank slate theory that people are inherently good and it's all society's fault <laughs> that we behave this way and we can just change society. Oh, the noble savage will thrive. Fuck right. you. No, right, right. no, that will not happen. And without that, without that, by a- abandoning the concept of human nature and what it is without looking at it, utopia crumbles. 
utopia, the whole idea of the utopian society crumbles at its foundation. Yeah, it sure does. And that's, that that's, means, the, only, that's the only outcome, right? right? That's the only possible outcome. Heaven doesn't exist. Heaven and utopia. Heaven, utopia is the atheist heaven. It's heaven on earth. It's the thing you're striving for, but without that pathway via the noble savage and the blank slate, you can't get there. It's a mirage. So, and we've seen this around the globe. Whenever communism, extreme far leftism has taken root somewhere else, you have to prop up the facade of the perfect utopian society. You're on the path to utopia, and the only way you can do that is totalitarian, authoritarianism, dictatorship. Yeah. It's the only way you can project the illusion to your people that you're really on the path to heaven. Hmm. Interesting. You saying that facetiously or like No, 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 no. That's really interesting. Um that 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 whole line of thinking is really interesting because it really is um if you go down that path, the only outcome is the is the disillusionment of um, of uh, utopia or society in general? We've right? seen it repeatedly. It's happened. Yeah. yeah, it's happened. Gulags, you know how many people were assassinated? Che Guevara, you know he mm-hmm. used to be one of my heroes. Believe it or not, I, I watched the movie Motorcycle Diaries. I read his book. When I discovered what happened to him, he is he was an idealist. He cared about people very, very deeply, the poor people. He wanted social justice. He wanted economic justice so bad. But something happened to him on the road. And when he discovered, I think, communism, when he really got into it, when it first entered into his uh, DNA, and that idealism, that concern, that love for people turned into a moral imperative that everybody must Come along this way, and if you if you don't, if you're not with me, you're against me. You're part of the bourgeois enemy. You should die because you are not pulling along toward utopia. Oh, at that point, you just become a cult leader, right? But what is so you're it? Just, you're just a, you're just a basic run of the mill cult leader at that point, right? When you're, when you're when you know here, drink the Kool Aid. But if socialism is the quest for utopia. If it's the quest for the emergence of the noble savage once again, and none of those things exist, how else can you classify socialism? I'm talking about the extreme. I'm not talking about socialist economic policies here. I'm talking about the the ideology of it. How else can you classify it other than a religion or a cult? You can't. No, that's what it is, right? Right. (sighs) So, to bring it home. Preaching to the choir a little bit. To bring it home. When we're talking about the militia groups and what they're preparing for, are they really delusional? Hmm. Interesting. I don't know that they're delusional. That's when you, when you, in my world, when you use words like that, they have very specific meanings. Okay. Uh, sorry. You, you know, it, <laughs> it's uh, a better one. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's just, I'm not sure that they're necessarily delusional. Um, but are they caught up in a belief system that is taking advantage of their psychological vulnerabilities? Probably. Most of these far left group, far right groups, sorry. Most of these far right groups, they will talk when the very first thing you ask them why they're doing this, they're not going to talk about God and Jesus. They're going to talk about AOC, the Green New Deal. They're going to talk Mm -hmm. about communism. They're going to talk about creeping socialism, the culture wars, and Mm -hmm. the attacks on the American way of life and the American system. Right? Are they delusional about that? Are they making this up? Are they seeing something that's not there? 
Well, just because their beliefs are, are or are not in accordance with um, the, main, the beliefs of the mainstream does not mean that they're deluded or delusional. It just means that they, you know, yeah, they're, are they, no, they're not crazy. Um, are they misguided? Probably. I honestly, I, I have to question that. I have to, to a point, maybe they are, but I see a lot of the same things that they rant about. Mm-hmm. I think they're there. I well, think this is a, I think, sure. I think there's they just a, take it to the extreme, right. right? They just take it to the next level. They want to do something about it. <laughs> they they, they want to do like something extra political about it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Something outside of the system. Now, um, uh, you know, and that makes them criminals. Are all criminals right. delusional? I don't think so. Yeah, um, in fact, these guys are by and large, well, I think all, all 13 of them are criminals. They've all got police records. So now let's be clear. Long. Let's be clear. I'm not talking about the 13. I'm talking about the run of the mill <clears throat> rank and file militia guys that aren't, you know, going off to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. I'm not yeah. talking about those guys. I'm talking about no. the people who are still down at their, down in their log cabins or whatever out there in the woods, out on maneuvers, hunting squirrels. No, I wouldn't even say I would. I would even backtrack on on that point. I would even backtrack my comments and say they're they're. I, I doubt that they're even misguided. As long as they're, you know, as long as they're functioning within the boundaries of of society and with law and all that kind yeah. of stuff, I don't see them as being deluded. I, I see them as having a, a lifestyle, yeah. right? Um, and that that's not that's not delusional. When it when you cross the boundary into um, abducting a governor or bombing a federal building in Oklahoma City, that's when um, that's when it becomes. Right. A whole other basket of shit. Right. Yeah. No, that's I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't see. Yeah, that's a whole. Other, I don't. I don't. I don't see. Which, by the way, those guys came from Michigan too. But just anyway. Uh, <laughs> <I did. laughs> Woo! Yes, Michigan is yeah. the people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pure. Pure Michigan. Pure Michigan. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Holy shit! Uh, a good one too. <laughs> you know your basic run of the mill guys who who are who consider themselves to be part of a militia. Uh, or the militia movement, I, I think they're probably very diligent about their beliefs, um, and, but but they function within the norms of of what's expected of them, right? And that, and if things go out of control, they they might step out, right? If there is a civil war, you'll probably see more of these guys. But until that happens, I, I think they're probably just practicing practicing out in the fields, doing what they do, doing maneuvers or out shooting squirrel, whatever. Uh, I, I don't want to say that they're, I don't think they're crazy. I don't think just because yeah. you're in a militia, you're crazy. I, I don't, I don't want to be quoted. I think on some all. level, I would go as far. I, I don't know at what point I would stop using this descriptor, but I would say at some level, I think they're even rational. I don't think they're crazy at all. I think that they are, they are seeing indications of something that really is there. Now, are they applying too much to it? Are they seeing maybe aspects of it? Are they seeing contrasts or a brightness level, a volume, an amplitude mm-hmm. to the problem that maybe is overinflated, exaggerated? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. maybe. Very possible. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It'd be, not, it'd be interesting to sit down and talk to one or I two have a few. Just, you know. I have a few. And they, they, mm-hmm. don't, they don't talk about Jesus, and like I said, and they're, they have a very specific most, I think, most of these groups are are more about you know they're not about religion necessarily, although they tend to be religious. Mm-hmm. Um, and but their their groups aren't about that. They're the groups are more about um, 
the politics and yeah. the the over overreach of government. They these groups, I think, tend to trans uh, uh, tra- uh, read or understand the Constitution literally, right, word for word. Yeah. They're not they're not applying any sort of interpretation to the words of the Constitution. And when they detect any kind of overreach by the government, that's when their hackles get up, and and that's that's when they that's what their I think that's what their biggest fear is. Mm-hmm. Very old school, very old school American. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that was a, that was a phrase that I used to use a lot. Was constitutional fundamentalists like you've got the Westboro yeah. folks down here, the yeah. biblical fundamentalists, yeah. and then you've got the constitutional fundamentalists over here, sort of like the Tea Party types, right? Yeah. And we're wearing yeah. tea bags, no. dangling off yeah. their wide brims hat ten years ago. Yeah, they're not crazy. These people aren't crazy. No. They're not delusional. They just they just have a set of beliefs um, that that may or may not uh, fall within the norms of most beliefs. I, I don't know. I I'm really torn on these guys because I I do I do know some of these folks personally. I they won't tell me, you know they they don't trust yeah. me and they they probably shouldn't. Uh, but I do know them and I I I I don't want to say it. I don't want to give them quarter. But if I'm being honest, I do understand some of what they're purporting to fight about or want to fight about. And if the, and if the world does go to shit, if this country goes to hell after the election, I'm not 100% sure I don't want them there. <laughs> I'm not. I, I really, that's I'm true. not. No, you're, no, that's very honest, I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you, if you have a sort of a, I, I don't know, a, a power vacuum or something, or the the fight for the American religion goes into full gear next year, and the left decides to finally, or the far left decides to finally assert itself. I, I can tell you this. this I, I probably shouldn't say this. I may regret it later on. I reserve the right <laughs> to change my mind. But if it came down to, to a choice between Hitler and Stalin, between the far left and the far right, I'm wow. going to side up with the far right. Mm-hmm. Until the far left is pushed back into the sea, and then you know no, what I'm going to do? That I'm not done. That, that you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn into Benedict Arnold. And I'm going to turn on these guys. I'm going to join whatever is left to push those guys into the Pacific. <laughs> Just broom the whole bunch of them. That's what. Yeah, and hope to God something's left. Well, it wouldn't be the first time the left has stood up, right? You remember that? You've read about the Weathermen, I'm sure, and, yep. and the, in the yep. '60s, and and their um, bomb. I think it's Chicago, their bombings in Chicago. Uh, that yeah. was, yeah, that was extreme. That was ex- extreme side of the left. Yeah. Um. Those, and those people are still around. I think a lot of those guys are still alive, and women are still alive. Yeah. Um. There was a there was a, a documentary about them not too long ago, yeah. decade ago maybe. Yeah, it's good. But yeah, so yeah, it's a, it's a good documentary, and but uh, but you know these things aren't aren't mutually exclusive. Um, any sort of extremism. I think the theme of of and I'm running out of steam, but the, I think the theme of, of what we're coming up today is that any 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 extremism is not healthy, right? If you're going to be a fundamental extremist of any sort, whether it's a religious extremist, a congressional or a, a constitutional extremist, political extremist, it's not healthy. There, there, there's some sort of an intervention maybe needs to be needs to be done on, on these individuals. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I want to reiterate, d- despite what I just said, I mean, I, I, I have no empathy, sympathy for any of these people that uh, were plotting to uh, kidnap Whitmer. You know, I, I, I can kind of sense how somebody could t- take what I just said and twist it around and, and throw it at me. I just don't fucking don't. No. <laughs> don't do that this week. But so I, I hope the book gets thrown at them. I hope they're thrown in federal prison for the rest of their lives. I really Terrorism do. charge. It's not a yeah. good charge. No, no. And it's accurate. It's, it, you know, it's, it's an appropriate charge, and I hope the book gets thrown at them. 
Yeah, I think so, that's I, that, that's a really great sort of, uh, I think, a basic distinction that we're really trying to make. Yeah. Is there's a difference between a, a militia and a terrorist group. Yeah. And these guys were a terrorist group. Fuck their, whatever their militia was called, if that's what they want to call themselves. That's not right. what they were. They were a group of fucking thugs and, you know, trying to create issues, kill police officers and all this shit. I mean, come on. Yeah. Give me a fucking break. I, I, you know, I think that they, these kind of guys um, are a pox on the militia name. They're just not, they shouldn't be used in the same sentence. They do have a right, you know, they, the, the Second Amendment is entrenched. It's written in, you know, constitutional stone. It's not going anywhere. You're not going to be able to overturn it. You know, you're not going to be able to tell them they can't have their guns anymore. They do have a right oh. in this country to have those guns. And, sure. you know, the <laughs> the poorly worded, well-regulated militia line in the Constitution, yeah. you know, how is it regulated? How is Hootery regulated? How is the, the weenie watchman or whatever the fuck they call themselves? How were they regulated? <laughs> Where's the regulation? I don't think that they meant that some kid could come in off the street and say, I regulate thee, thee are now regulated. I'm not sure that's how they fucking intended it. I think it meant no. government regulation. I think. Could be. So, yeah. yeah. There's Keep so the much. Government out of my, yeah. So much yeah. fucking stupidity everywhere. God, ugh, now I'm getting angry. It's ex- it's ex- yeah, I know it's extreme. It's extremism. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, hey, if you, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to join a militia, you go, you go, boy. Yeah. But uh, but once you become a terrorist, fuck you. Yeah, exactly. One, two, three. Let's say it in unison. One, two, three. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> All right. I think this is a good place to stop down, brother. This is. Uh, uh, yeah. A full politics episode here. Yeah, we did. We did pretty good. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I think we did. It's amazing. Great place to stop. Well, there it is. That's episode number 91, Escaping the Cave podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. It's a little bit later on now. I typically uh, go back and tag these things up kind of wrap things, maybe some things that I missed or whatever, and I I desperately wanted to go back and find that Walter Lippmann quote about the responsibility that comes with free speech. (laughs) Turns out it was sitting right on top of the pile of papers right next to me. Had I looked, I probably would have found it. Anyway, this is it. I think it's from The Public Philosophy. And he says, When the chaff of silliness, baseness, and deception is so voluminous that it submerges the kernels of truth, Freedom of speech may produce such frivolity or such mischief that it cannot be preserved against the demand for a restoration of order or decency. If there is a dividing line between liberty and license, it is where freedom of speech is no longer respected as a procedure of the truth and becomes the unrestricted right to exploit the ignorance and to incite the passions of the people. Then freedom is such a hullabaloo of sophistry, propaganda, special pleading, lobbying, and salesmanship that it is difficult to remember why freedom of speech is worth the pain and trouble of defending it. The public philosophy, end quote, by the way. 1955, Walter Lippmann. I implore you to read Walter Lippmann. But that's it, isn't it? where freedom of speech is no longer respected as a procedure of the truth and becomes the unrestricted right to exploit the ignorance and cite the passions of the people. Hullabaloo of sophistry. 
Propaganda, special pleading, lobbying, and salesmanship, Mr. Trump. It's difficult to remember why freedom of speech is worth the pain and trouble of defending it. Need I say more? Hmm. Actually, yes. To the conversation we were having about uh, the religious mind of the socialist, how socialism is, in my view, <laughs> literal religion. I didn't even mention the main deity, the socialist sky daddy, the imaginary invisible god of justice, cosmic justice. Always seeking a subjectively interpreted and defined justice. Yes, it is subjectively interpreted. It's abstract because justice is a human concoction. It doesn't exist anywhere outside of the human mind. Therefore, human beings have to agree on it. Or it doesn't exist at all. If you don't believe me, I challenge you to find justice in existence outside of human endeavors. Ask the infant who got killed in a house fire last week somewhere. Ask the gazelle who's being chased down by a leopard somewhere. Justice does not exist outside of the human mind. And when you destroy the agreement, when you destroy the cooperation, the common definition of it, the only thing that exists is power. Might. You be careful with that. And there's also an aspect when you're talking about justice, which is fairness. Fairness and justice are one of the same thing. That's the fairness twitch that I think Brian was referring to when he was describing his take on right-wing extremists. How they're obsessed with fairness. How their life isn't fair. How something about life is unjust. How they're a victim. That may be an aspect of right-wing extremists, but it's a main tenet of the socialist religion. Fairness. Justice. Something that doesn't exist outside of the human mind. I've got a lot more on that topic coming. This is a big idea. I told Brian today, I asked him to sort of you know, dissect it for me when I get it done. I've asked Chris to do the same thing, or if I haven't, I'm going to. <laughs> Hi, Chris. But this is a foundational thing for me personally. And I suspect that as time goes on and life moves forward, and events around us continue to happen, continue to take place, and the landscape presents itself into 2021 and beyond, where I end up residing on that idea, that fundamental idea, is going to affect a lot of things for me personally. If I'm forced to choose, as I said in this episode, between Westboro Baptist Church and ISIS, if I've got to choose between right-wing extremists and left-wing extremists, I'll choose one temporarily to fight against the other. And then I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be a traitorous MFR. The former enemy of my enemies. There's a great quote somewhere. I forget exactly how it goes or who said it, but the only enemy is totalitarianism. The only enemy is authoritarianism. I would expand that out to say the only enemy is extremism, radicalism, regardless of what side it's on. The refusal to negotiate, the refusal to compromise, the refusal to see the country and the world as belonging to all of us rather than belonging just to you in that moral certitude with those moral imperatives that lead you to self-righteousness and drag you out of the field of the fanatic. Fanaticism, extremism, moral imperatives, moral certitude, all 
talked about last year when I was discussing Jacques Ellul's book. And if you're looking for some more material, some other episodes perhaps that I recorded that uh, talks about some of the same things that Brian and I discussed today. I got, I've gotten into the religious mind, generalized, the general religious mind, several times. Episodes number 36 last year, number 71 I think earlier this year, definitely got into it. I've also talked about the Manchurian propagandists a number of times as well, numbers uh, 31 and 37 from last year. I have 91 episodes that I've recorded. The vast majority of them concern this topic one way or another. And all this material is connected. It has different topics, different focuses, but it's all connected. And not very loosely. It's an entire field of study. And I think this is the battle of the 21st century. This is the great war of the 2000s. And it's a formidable enemy we're girding our loins for battle against. The enemy of our own minds. I am off next week, taking a well-deserved, overdue vacation, heading out to the great Southwest. Desert life, some mountains, woohoo! I haven't seen mountains in a long time, I desperately need it. So no Todd, no Brian next week. However, I may take the computer out there and finally edit and re-release some of those episodes that I was talking about that I've been promising you for a month and haven't delivered on yet, I am sorry. Not very reliable in that regard, am I? I shall uh, do my best. One other thing, if you like this podcast, if you find it useful, find it valuable, think of it's uh, you know, a useful resource for you, share it. You are my marketing team. It's the only way it's going to spread. Word of mouth, yours. You know of somebody who likes it, maybe just needs to hear it, or would like it, or just needs to hear it, probably should hear it, pass it their way. Por favor. EscapingTheCave.com is the website. Forget Facebook and Twitter. You don't need it. Nobody needs it. And I will talk to you in about two weeks. Till then, so long.